As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And you're doing a good job. We're going to hire you. <laughs> Be careful. I might take you up on it. <laughs> hey, readers. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 126. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, we're starting to add events to the calendar for summer and fall 2018. And when we're ready to go public, our newsletter subscribers will be the first ones to know. Make sure you are on the list so you stay in the know. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Today, I'm chatting with Roxanne Cody, proprietor of RJ Julia Bookstore in Madison, Connecticut, and host of Just the Right Book podcast. Years ago, Roxanne did what many of my listeners have dreamed of doing. She left her old career behind and started a bookstore. Today, Roxanne and I explore how she found a calling that appealed to her heart rather than her head, emotionally rich narratives, nonfiction that holds your hand through tough times, and I learned about the origin of book subscription boxes, which, trust me, you want to hear about. Let's get to it. Roxanne, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to join you. I am so excited to talk to the proprietor of one of my favorite institutions in the world, an independent bookstore, and also a fellow literary podcaster. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do in your professional life these days? Yeah. So I started RJ Julia's, which is an independent bookstore in Madison, Connecticut. It'll be 28 years in April. The bulk of my life is running that bookstore, although there are now 30 employees there, so it's not exactly me running the train. We've been blessed with extraordinary staff over the years who, you know, have the jobs from receiver to booksellers to social media people to managers to bookkeepers. You know, it's a small business that always takes more than you think it does. I think people walk into RJ Joya's or any independent bookstore and they have a sense of uh, serenity and the joy of being surrounded by books as if it all magically happens. But in fact, there's, you know, Lots that goes into making sure that store looks good, is stocked well, helps the customer find what they need, 
has a bookseller who is really interested and equipped to make this a great experience for them. So my job at this point at RJ Joya's is probably strategic more than it is unlocking and locking the door. Now, 28 years makes you all sound like a veritable institution, but (laughs) this was a big change in your life back when you opened the store, was it not? Yes, it was. So I uh, lived and worked in New York. I was a national tax director and my world was mergers and acquisitions and tax policy and overseeing tax professionals across the country. So it was a very different job. And then my version of a midlife crisis was to leave all of that and open a bookstore. At some point, we need to survey our What Should I Read Next listeners and ask what percentage of our readers have dreamed of one day just, you know, Mm. pitching their job and opening an independent bookstore. I bet it's a high percentage. (laughs) I'm I'm guessing in the 25 to 50 percent, though I might be underestimating. Right. (laughs) Was this a daydream you had for many years or did it just hit you out of the blue one day when you were going to work at your accounting firm? You know, it was a gradual unrest that materialized as a concrete idea within a year of my leaving. I'm thrilled I had the 20 years as an accountant. You know, I love that too. Mm -hmm. I know most, most people would think of that as this sort of brittle, unappealing way of operating, but I get incredible pleasure from working with people. And I had clients and companies at the end of the day are people. And I got to travel. I got to learn a lot about a lot. So I love that too. But it spoke more to my head than my heart. And I felt like I was in a very fortunate position to then figure out what would appeal to my heart. Mm -hmm. It was never any question that what appealed to my heart was about words, but what I would do in that regard was a little bit unclear. Did I want to write? Did I want to be a publisher? And then I realized I don't have any skill as a writer. I don't know a thing about publishing, but I did know how to get people excited about what I was reading. You know, my parents are immigrants, so they would read to me phonetically. They mm-hmm. they didn't even know what they were reading to me. But I was an avid reader immediately. You know, I was like a mini bookseller my whole life. <laughs> I mean, I was always doing that. People would always say, what are you reading? What are you reading? So I realized that maybe I know how to do that. Did that happen from the time you were young? I'd love to hear about you selling a book to someone when you were in grade school. <laughs> Well, well, I'll tell you this. Here's when I think I began my book selling career. I've never, this never occurred to me, Anne, and I might be enhancing my memory about it, <laughs> but I think it's true. My family moved from New York to Connecticut when I was in fourth grade, and there was a library right in front of my grammar school. I would go to that library every day, and I know I started telling the librarians books that they might want to let their patrons know about. So I bet you the first hand-selling I did was to librarians. (laughs) That's a very smart strategy (laughs) to more effectively disseminate your favorite picks. And then when you got older, I can imagine you as that smart friend that you always want to know what she's reading. I don't know about the word smart, but I was a big (laughs) reader. I read enough that there would be something from what I read they might want to know about. Now, we have to ask this to all our bookseller guests. 
What has owning a bookstore done to your reading life? It means I actually read more, but I finish less. That's going to sound very surprising to some people. Why does it work like that? Before I had the bookstore, I would never dream of not finishing a book because I'd be afraid the good part was coming. (laughs) You know, I was one of those people that would aggregate slips of paper about what I wanted to read. I would have, you know, heard it from a friend, read it in a magazine, a myriad of sources informing my buying. Then I'd go to the bookstore and I'd get anywhere from five to 15 books at a time. Oh, wow. But my process was thoughtful. So I felt like I owed it to the process to finish the books. That was pre-owning a bookstore. After owning the bookstore, I realized the number of books that I could read that were likely to be great was limitless. And if I was struggling to get through a book, I owed it to the next book to drop the book that I'm not loving and go on to the next one. But what if it's about to get good, Roxanne? I know. I know. And that's the problem. <laughs> I'm just sitting here nodding as you talk about your, your reading woes. I become ever optimistic about the time at which the book will say to me, read me. Those that I think I might not be in the mood for, but have some promise, are in a separate part of my reading pile or bookcases. The to go back to. Mm -hmm. That's really smart. The story I always have about that is, I don't know why this book was on my list, but this was like early, it might have even predated owning a bookstore. And it was a book called The Island by Gustav Hurling. I'm not even sure if it's still in print. It sat on a bench in my entryway, which might make you think I'm not a good cleaner, but it sat on that bench, I'm going to say, for eight years. What? And I never read it. That's a long time. And then my family was headed to a vacation, and I thought, I think this is the time for this book. I, I took the book. Where we went was a beach, and there was a day that I brought it to the beach like at one o'clock, and I sat on that beach and read that book from beginning till end to sunset. It remains to this day one of these experiences that I cherish, and today I couldn't even tell you what the book was about. Roxanne, you've said once that you realized all a bookstore does is put the right book in the right hands. Right. I'd love to hear who puts the right book in your hands these days? The sources that put a book in my hand are probably no different than the sources for anybody. I mean, I have the exposure of, you know, thousands of galleys coming into the store. I have the good fortune of having, you know, among the three stores that we run, 50 or 60 people who are reading and talking about what they love. So I have a bigger input take than most. But, you know, I read reviews. I'll look at your blog post. I'll listen to the radio. Just a wide berth of scanning the universe. Then what makes me pick up a book or stick with a book is, I think, very chaotic. I think there's something serendipitous about a book speaking to me or anyone, you know, so maybe I'm just in the mood to be distracted. So I'm not going to pick up 
a deeply philosophical book that on another day is the only book that would make me happy. Mm -hmm. You know, I probably read a book or two a week, but I probably pick up five to ten books a week that I'm either reading simultaneously or testing. That sounds a lot like my reading habits. Yeah. How, how, how do you decide what to read? Uh, like you said, um, scan the universe, reviews, friends with great taste, independent bookstore owners. You know, sometimes stuff catches your eye. Sometimes you catch a little snippet of something on the radio. Mm-hmm. And then every so often I stare at my shelves and sigh deeply and my kids will say, mom, what do you, oh, you're choosing what to read next. It makes sense now. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. what's all that noise from the library with me going, huh. I try a lot that I put aside. Some I think it's just not the right time. I'll save it for later, like you said. If it's really good, I might finish on the couch four hours later. A little science, a lot art, and a little bit of magic, serendipity, mm. coincidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and do you ever not finish books? Oh, all the time. For yeah. the reasons you said, I also used to be a finisher, almost compulsively. But it was really the volume, just like the onslaught of good books coming out. And this winter, oh my goodness, there are so many good titles and spring looks amazing as well. But right now I'm vetting titles for our annual summer reading guide. And I start a lot of books that either I realize if I finish reading this book that I can tell is either not what I like or not what I need for the purpose I'm reading it for, then I have another one that I won't be able to get to. And I really want to get through a good volume. Yeah, because we we do, we, that's the royal we, I read everything that goes in the guide cover to cover before it comes out, which means I need to be reading a lot right now. Yeah, that's right. Right. It's just that opportunity cost. Like I really would like to finish a few more books than I do. Um, There's some that I can close at page 30 and not have any regrets about. And if it was going to blow me away once I got to page 187, I will never be the wiser. So maybe that's a good thing. Do you ever worry, Anne, that your judgment's off from what your readers might react to? Or do you feel like you know that? No, I I am concerned about that. And what I do with Mm. my readership and with what should I read next listeners is I try to be true to the fact that I am giving like a subjective opinion about my taste or the best educated guess I can manage about what will match your taste, what will be the right book for you. But there are guidelines in this endeavor, but there are not rules or formulas. And so we do the best we can. Because, you know, what's interesting is, uh, what should I read next, is a little bit of how we started Just the Right Book. I would love to hear the origin story of the podcast. How did that get started? What inspired you after all these years of book selling to try the new medium? So I'll do this a little consecutively. So I had the bookstore for about 20 years. And, you know, the world was changing in a not great way at that moment. And I thought, okay, should I close RJ Joya's? You know, did it have its its heyday and it's over? We were getting calls all the time from developers or mayors about opening a bookstore in their community. Should I open another bookstore? And so I took six weeks off and I interviewed the CEOs of all the major publishers 
I interviewed the head of Borders and Barnes and Noble. I interviewed uh, Ron Johnson, who was then the head of Apple Stores. Uh, that Steve Jobs had hired to open their first retail store. I interviewed lots of independent booksellers, and I decided the need that wasn't getting filled was what is just the right book to read next and figure that out online because in those days, hundreds and hundreds of independent bookstores had closed or were closing. So And Amazon already existed. Uh, They were not quite the behemoth they are now, but they existed. So what I realized is we could become basically a personalized online bookseller by you subscribing and saying, here's what I like to read, and this is how often I'd like you to send me a book. And our booksellers would literally read your profile every month and send you a book. You went back that far in time. Yes. Roxanne, you are so far ahead of the curve. I'm impressed. I think it's a great (laughs) service. I had no idea it was nearly 10 years old. Yeah. We were one of the first book subscription programs, and we were always personalized. We have two booksellers, Elizabeth Katz and Brittany, who use the resources of our 30 booksellers and what they're reading, and they literally every month I I call it a human algorithm. They're picking out a book for thousands of our subscribers, and then we send them off in the mail. I love the mental image that conjures in my head. Britt, who works for Just the Right Book, on Facebook posted a little video of the speed with which she runs around RJ Joyous to pick out books. Oh, yes. I want to see this. It's very cute. Britt posted this on the Just the Right Book subscription service, but we'll link it to the Just the Right Book podcast site also. Okay. We will share it all in show notes. So then in terms of why did I start the podcast, I did a book show for NPR here in Connecticut. It was called The Faith Middleton Show. And once a month, we did the book show. And I had done that for 20 years. And then she switched to a weekly show that was just about food. I wasn't doing anything on the radio and people were asking, but I wasn't that keen on getting something started. And then Barry Berman, who owns this company called Collisions Media, I was out to dinner with my husband. And he came over and he said, Gee, I'd love to talk to you about doing a book podcast. We're going to start to do podcasts. So I was pretty cynical about it. I'm not cynical, skeptical. So I agreed to talk to him about it. And now it's been, a you know, 60-something episodes, and I'm sort of doing it. <laughs> it's just... Was the idea there from the beginning what the podcast came to be? Because every week you interview top-notch, articulate authors writing the best literary fiction being published today. Was that the vision from the beginning? Yes. When I opened the bookstore, my vision of the bookstore was that it would be a place where words mattered, meaning you were interested in conversation. You were interested in storytelling. I have great faith in the power of stories and conversation. And I think it's critical to, you know, a good life, a good community, a good state, a good country, because it means that you're open and curious and learning. So the podcast to me was always envisioned in furtherance of that set of objectives. 
Roxanne, how long has the podcast been around now? We've been doing the podcast for a little bit over, maybe a year and three months. Does it still feel new to you? And I'm asking because what should I read next still feels new to me. We're just past two years. Yeah, it feels new because I feel like I am still learning how to do really good interviews. I was listening to Alec Baldwin interview Michael Wolff, the guy who wrote Fire and Fury about the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. I was listening to it, not just for the content, but to learn how he interviews or other people that are good interviewers. So it does feel new because I feel like I am so, at the beginning, a steep learning curve still, just on learning how to interview. So that feels very new. (laughs) Wait, why are you laughing? Well, because I'm just thinking, like, there's no better way to polish your interviewing skills than by talking to Margaret Atwood. Exactly. (laughs) Not maybe the least intimidating (laughs) environment to just jump in with both feet. So, yeah, it feels new. It Mm -hmm. feels new to me. Mm -hmm. Well, I really enjoy listening. Well, good. Thank you. Roxanne, I would love to hear about what you are reading these days. Are you ready to get into your books? Sure. You know how this works. You get to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now, and we will talk about what you should read next. Okay. First of all, how did you choose these favorites? I chose them because they were the last three books I read that I loved. So they're all new. Amy Bloom's White Houses. Amy Bloom, I've been in love with her ever since she her short story collection, Come to Me which I still think is a brilliant example of short stories up there with Humpala Harry and Alice Munro. And this book is a novel, but its characters are the real Eleanor Roosevelt and the real Lorena Hickok. The book opens with Franklin Roosevelt's death, and Lorena Hickok literally moves into the White House in an adjoining bedroom to Eleanor. What I found riveting about it was the way in which it depicted middle-aged love between people, women even aside, between people who were not necessarily had the look that you would think of as sensuous or tender in the way that Amy writes about the relationship between the two of them. I like that. I, I, you know, I think that there isn't enough of what real love looks like. You know, it's not two breathlessly beautiful people doing breathlessly perfect things. Mm -hmm. That, with the backdrop of World War II, post-World War II, Franklin Roosevelt's administration, Eleanor Roosevelt's incredible intellect, Lorena Hickok's fascinating own life story. You know, it's definitely a read that you can finish in one fell swoop. You're that engaged in the story. I'm an Eleanor Roosevelt fan. I've read all the columns she wrote. I've read all Not all, but I've read quite a few of the biographies that have been written about her, certainly Blanche Wiesen Cook's biography. And this was just a whole other dimension to Eleanor Roosevelt and the time. 
I was so happy to think of Eleanor Roosevelt in a with a wider lens. Roxanne, what's another recent read that you loved? We recently had an author at the store. Her name is Julia Samuel, and she's a British woman who specializes in bereavement counseling. I was drawn to this because, sadly, I'm reaching the age where we have friends or siblings dying, not not to mention parents. Uh, You know, I read a galley of it early, and Julia Samuel brings such wisdom and reality to what people suffering a loss are going through and what those of us that are around those who have suffered a loss might want to understand that I just felt it was both a brilliant how-to book and the stories she tells, which are about real people, to illustrate the impact of grief were riveting stories in and of themselves. So on both ways, in both dimensions, I felt utterly enhanced by the experience. And then when I met her, Julie and I sat down and it would be as if we were finishing a conversation that we'd been having for decades. I hear from a lot of readers that grief is a topic they'd like to read more about, uh, the how-to and the treatment in fiction, but there's not that much out there. There isn't. There are the obvious, like Joan Didion's A Year of Magical Thinking, Mm -hmm. or Calvin Trillin's book about his wife, Alice, or Anne Royfe's book called Epilogue. But they tend to be about the personal story of losing a spouse. There are not that many that cover grief. Like, Julia organizes her book by loss, meaning the loss of a parent, the loss of a child, the loss of a sibling, which seems maybe overly pragmatic. But in fact, the grief experience is often shaped by who it is you lost. So it actually becomes a very smart way to go about it. Yes. So what I've seen about this is that there are a lot of stories to give readers something to relate to when they're in a certain situation, but it also sounds almost like a resource manual. It is. Turn turn to page 89 if this is you. You could use the book as a book to enjoy reading and learning from, or you could use it as a how-to manual. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm very interested in your third pick because I've heard so much about it. Will you tell us? Yes. The third pick is by, I'm not sure I'm saying her first name right, Lila Samani. She's a French woman and the name of the book is called The Perfect Nanny. It opens with the murder of the children who the nanny takes care of. I don't know whether she wrote it before or after the real-life situation that happened like that in New York City. Actually, I think maybe the trial is happening around now or just happened. So this is a story of a New York City couple living a busy, affluent-ish life who need the help of a nanny and become increasingly dependent on this perfect nanny. I thought she had, she, the author, had a very smart take on human nature's foibles, meaning a couple who both have important careers, how they think about their careers, what that does to their marriage, how does that inform their parenting, 
how they rationalize things that they do. I thought she had that perfectly. In her talking about the nanny who had peculiar traits, I thought that, ironically, that character was not as well-developed as it could have been. Oh, interesting. Have you read it? No, and I'm so torn because I hear, you've got to read this book. And I also keep hearing the criticism you hear about any book getting tons of buzz, which was, I read it, and what was all the fuss about? Totally overrated. I would be closer to the overrated than you've got to read this book. Was it a good reading experience in the moment to land it on your list here? Yes, yes. And and that's why I'm even bringing it up. I'm glad I read it. Mm -hmm. It made me think about a lot of things that I enjoyed thinking about. And the book was a good device for that. I think I learned something. I was entertained by the story. It's a very difficult topic. Having your kids murdered in your own house. It's the unimaginable. Oh. And so it's a very difficult read that way. I would say the buzz is not all deserved because I don't think the book is as developed as it could be. What is a recent read you haven't been so crazy about that you're willing to own? So first of all, I don't finish a book I'm not crazy about. Um, So what I was trying to think about is what books I've started that I've put down. One would be, it's funny, I can't even think of his name. What's the guy who's written all these minutiae kind of memoirs about his life? Carl. Oh, uh, you're thinking of um, Carl Uva Nausgaard. Right. I can't get into them. People seem to either love those yeah, or be totally bored to tears. I, I was neither. I just couldn't get into it. I, I, I didn't care. I would say I didn't care. What are you reading right now, Roxanne? Three books for us to decide on our signed first edition. Oh, oh, is that torture deciding? Yes, it's very, very hard to decide. So one I'm reading is The Parking Lot Attendant, mm-hmm. uh, which is a novel narrated by a young Ethiopian woman. I am liking it, but I'm not totally engrossed, but I'm going to give it more time. Mm-hmm. I'm reading Laurie Moore's Essays and Criticisms. Laurie Moore could write the back of a cereal box for me. (laughs) And I would be happy. I think Birds of America or Who Will Run the Frog Hospital are as perfect uh, a book as you could want to read. And then Educated, the hot book by uh, Westover. And my husband stole it from me over vacation and couldn't put it down. And I am riveted by it. Riveted by it. Interesting. I see what the fuss is about there. I had kind of decided not to pick that one up, but I might change my mind. Yeah, you might want to pick it up, Anne. She's a really good writer and she's a great storyteller. I I value those things. (laughs) Okay, Roxanne... I feel like we have a lot in common here because I really resonate with your your bookish struggles, (laughs) even if our taste isn't exactly the same. And I love that you've tried things that I haven't. So what I'm really noticing here is that you like well-developed books that are emotionally complex. Is that fair? Do you see that in what you tend to gravitate towards? Perfect. So you tend to read fiction being published now. Do you like that? Is that the kind of 
pick you'd like me to think about for you? Or do you want to venture back to what is already out there? No, I go, I go back. I, I also go back. And I also read half nonfiction. I read a lot of history, a lot of biographies. I don't read much science. Mm-hmm. Let's start with nonfiction that maybe you've read because some of what I have in mind for you that I'm basically pulling from my own shelves is probably on the new release table at R. Julia's. So you may have already seen and picked it up and moved on with your life. But the first book I'm wondering about is Maggie O'Farrell's new one. It's a memoir. It's called I Am, I Am, I Am. Have you read this? I have not, but it is on my list. Good job, Anne. Well, thank you. Here's why I like the sound of this for you. Her writing is gorgeous, highly stylized, well-developed. Have you read any of her fiction? Uh, no. Okay. So contemporary British author. And she just had a novel come out last year. And I know she's working on a novel now, but this is a very literary memoir nonfiction that just came out in February. The title comes from Sylvia Plath which I also like for you, just a Mm -hmm. strong literary reference here. I'm going to open my book and read the line. So the bell jar line, which she said they had to get the estate's permission to use, was, I took a deep breath and listened to the old brag of my heart. I am, I am, I am. And when I started hearing about this book, I thought... I'm not sure I understand the concept, even though it sounds very straightforward. The subtitle is 17 Brushes with Death. And I thought, that can't mean what I think it means. But it is. In her introduction, O'Farrell says that we all have to confront our own mortality at some point. And we've all had brushes with death, whether, whether or not we know it. Like maybe the drunk driver ran out of gas before he came our way. You may not know about that, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. But she said that for whatever reason or not reason, she has had an extraordinary number of close calls in her life. And then she has a daughter with a condition that requires uh, lots of maintenance and has been at times scary. I also like this for you because anxiety and big, deep feelings about life and grief play into this book as they do in the Julia Samuels book you like so much. This is also nonfiction. And when you talked about the structure of Julia Samuels, it made me think about the structure of this Maggie O'Farrell. Her book is organized um, in a series of essays by parts of the body. So we start with neck and we move on to lungs. You're kidding. Mm -mm. We see the whole body, the abdomen, baby, and bloodstream. We go to the circulatory system and the cranium. That's not all of it. But depending on the nature of the fear or the potential harm, that's how the chapter is titled with these really beautiful anatomical descriptions. But it's well-crafted, lots of emotional resonance. And if you do ever read her fiction, you will see the real-life seeds of so many of her characters. So is mm. a is a reader who likes to you know like play the jigsaw puzzle in her mind of how everything relates and what the source material was and why it matters and the author writes about this so well like does she have real experience well O'Farrell shows you very clearly like yes yes I do all right I'm going to pick it up I know where to get it yes I bet <laughs> you do <laughs> and all the readers went oh jealous all at once. All right. So the next book is also a new release. It might still be on your table. I don't think it's still on the one at my local bookstore. Have you read Mira Lee's Everything Here is Beautiful? No. It's a debut. It got a lot of hype last year. Like, oh, books that you won't be able to wait till 2018 to get your hands on. 
It's about two sisters, and the backstory here is really interesting. So I read an interview with Mira Lee, since she didn't come on my podcast, Roxanne, but maybe she'll be on yours. Um, She started writing a story about sisters, um, sisters with a complicated relationship in their 20s and then 30s, moving into adulthood, uh, carving out their own identities, facing their own struggles. The story begins in New York City. Lee included one chapter about one of the sisters, a several year long battle to uh, diagnose and treat mental illness. But a good friend said, this is the most interesting part of the story. Like this should be the book, not just chapter five. So she went back and rewrote how there are these two sisters with a close relationship, one of whom has a mental illness onset in her early twenties. And that becomes a defining thing about their relationship. One needs help, the other feels trapped. The dynamics are so good. It's very well developed. It's emotionally rich and it's by a voice that is being heralded is like one of the new authors to watch on the American literary scene, which I don't think is bad for a bookseller. How does that sound to you? Uh, that's fabulous. And you're doing a good job. We're going to hire you. <laughs> Be careful. I might take you up on it. And there's a third book for me? Uh, yeah, but I'm debating. Debating between two books? I am. So I'm holding each in my hands. I'm wondering about a novel about friendship, oppressed women, a hard book with a note of hope, but it's more hard than hope, and a relatable memoir that also hammers grief, but also joy and friendship and family really hard that you have probably heard of and possibly read. What do you think, Roxanne? The latter. All right. You have chosen Kelly Corrigan's new one. Tell me more. Have you read it? I love Kelly Gorgon, but no, I haven't read it. Okay. This one is so good and it made me cry. And I read it back to back with The Bright Hour, which I do not recommend unless you have a sufficient, substantial quantity of Kleenex in the house. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this also has a fun, interesting structure and table of contents. So it came out in January. It's called Tell Me More, Stories About the 12 Hardest Things I'm Learning to Say. And Kelly Corrigan somehow turned 50 last year, which I was surprised to read in her text, even though I know it's been a good long time since I read Glitter and Glue, and she was in her 30s then. Right. I mean, the book is exactly what it sounds like, and the table of contents sounds like this. It's like this. Tell me more. I don't know. I know. No, yes, I was wrong. Good enough. I love you. And no words at all. Mm. She writes so well. The ongoing themes here are her relationship, her relationships with her parents. She's written extensively about her dad and her mom in her previous books. Right. And um, as she's gotten older, her relationships with them have evolved. And that was really interesting to read. Her dad did die of cancer not long before this book was published and she writes about Mm. the process of terribly grieving a man who was into his eighties. And she said, I know it's ridiculous to people must think I'm ridiculous to be so brokenhearted about this, but this is what he meant to me. And it's so touching. Mm. She writes about parenting. She writes at length and so well about her relationship with one of her dear, dear friends. And it was not a manual by any means, but it's the kind of essay that you'll read and go like, I I want a friend like that in my life. I want to be that kind of friend. She's not instructing you, but she's showing you how. And Mm -hmm. as a person who has people in her world that I would like to, you know, love and be loved by, I just felt like it was a really, like, this book is good for the human condition. Mm. How does that sound? Excellent. Uh, Here's the order I'm going to read them in. I was dying to know. 
<clears throat> Maggie O'Farrell, Everything Here is Beautiful, and Kelly Corrigan. Roxanne, I cannot wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Oh, it was great. It was really, it was great fun, Anne. Thank you very much. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Roxanne today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Roxanne and let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 126. That's 126. And it's also where you'll find the fullest of titles we talked about today. Next week, I'm talking with Jordan Bradley, a reader who gets most of his book recommendations from his beloved wife and from the library end caps. But the results of these library hunts have been hit or miss. Here's a sneak peek of Jordan's experience with one of those misses that still ended up changing his life for the better. The author talks about his experiences with sporting uh, from when he started running on his own. He, he did some marathons, paddling and outdoor survival and things like that. And I read it and I was like, yeah, I, I, I didn't enjoy the author's voice. I felt it was a little self-centered, which, you know, a memoir is because you're talking about yourself. Mm-hmm. But that book has really stuck with me over the years. And there was a point where I was struggling to write my dissertation. I just felt bogged down trying to handle work and kids. I felt like I couldn't find my voice writing. And there's a passage where he was talking uh, about writing a book and he was talking about his friends who were also professors. And he saw that what they were writing is the dissertation was an extension of themselves. They wrote it because that's who they were. And it wasn't something that they just had to create whole cloth. It was just something that they put down on the paper because that's who they were as a person. And I realized that I was fighting against that. I wasn't writing what I am. I was writing what I imagined this perfect version of what I was capable of writing would be. And I couldn't find the perfectness that I wanted. Uh, And I stopped trying to be perfect and it came out so much better. So that memoir really unlocked a problem and that that was great. But when I read it, I didn't realize that. It took several years for me to see that. Tune in next Tuesday to hear the title of this mindset shifting book and find out what I recommend Jordan read next. Make sure you're subscribed to What Should I Read Next on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Rainer Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher. 
and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.